you, know, you can't advertise cannabis on Facebook and Instagram. So we've built probably a 70,000 name lists of people. The front cover of the journal says, please use this journal while you're high. So people who buy this sort of raise their hand and say, I love cannabis and I love to be creative. So one of the other difficulties of building a cannabis brand is you don't own the customer, you know, everything's sold through dispensaries. So I, you know, built a 70,000 name list of people who like to get high and creative and a bunch of that, you know, probably about 10% of that is in California, a little more than 10%. So now I have the ability to go direct to consumer. I have the ability to advertise the brand on a national basis, communicate the values of the brand, really build a national licensable brand, create alternative revenue streams. There's a lot of benefits to having a bunch of products that are outside of the cannabis realm. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And I'm so glad you're here with me for another episode of the podcast. Today, we are sitting down with Sean Gold. You might be familiar with his name from some of his work prior to getting into cannabis. Sean was the CMO and head of marketing for a little tech company called MySpace. So shout out to my top eight. He was also the CMO of Textile Fashion Group, which houses brands like Fabletics and Rihanna's Savage Fenty line, which, by the way, during his time there, he helped those brands reach a goal of over $1 billion in sales. And then, as if those accomplishments weren't enough, he transitioned into the cannabis industry first by advising brands like MedMen and Charlotte's Web before becoming the CMO of Lowell Herbico, one of the fastest growing and most talked about cannabis companies in North America. And now, presently, he's the founder of Pilgrim Soul, a mission-driven cannabis brand focused on optimizing human creative performance to gain a competitive edge in business and life. We have a lot to unpack with Sean, but primarily I want you to listen to how cannabis has been a key player in everything Sean has done in his roles during all these different brands and how that helped inspire him to build Pilgrim Soul, which is a really engaging brand that goes way beyond just selling high quality cannabis products. To me, he's really captured a unique part of the market that intersects not only the plant, but the power of the plant that plays off of our creativity. And it's a really fun conversation. So buckle up. By the way, if this episode resonates with you or inspires you, please let me know. I would love to hear from you and you can send me a quick story or tag me in a DM on social at to be blunt pod. And as always, it is so much appreciated. So without further ado, let's welcome Sean to the show. I'm Sean Gold, the CEO of Pilgrim Soul Creative, a cannabis company based out of Los Angeles. And my journey in the cannabis experience is really from probably 15 years old to this moment. I don't recommend 
cannabis for people under 21, but different time when I was growing up, it was definitely a different time. I mean, drugs were like kind of cool and we didn't have gaming and, you know, all the world's information at our fingers. So it was basically sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We used to entertain ourselves. I've always been sort of this ADD. I've always been a, you know, I've considered bright, but not a very good student, really ADD, dyslexic. And I've come, I've used cannabis, oddly enough, for focus in my life and for empathy and consideration and creative perspective and self-therapy as far as getting a second opinion from myself about myself. And then in business, I've used it for many years for a lot of the same reasons. I'm in marketing. I've you know been head of marketing for some of the top tech consumer-facing tech companies. So I use it to connect with customers and again, empathize with them and come up with out-of-box thinking and challenge my own default thinking. And it's been a great thing. I owe a lot to the plant and how it's allowed me to see the world more clearly in a lot of ways, which is ironic because people think of drugs as a distortion. And for me, it's been about clarity. Please help us dive in a little bit more too on your background. You have such an esteemed, you know, roster of brands that you've been a part of. And I think that from my perspective, trying to help kind of have that conversation as a marketer who's listening on the other end, some people perhaps might be in the industry. Some people perhaps might not be in the industry yet, but they're trying to understand the path to you know, I mean, you're now the executive and the CEO of your own company, a cannabis brand, Pilgrim Soul. But prior to that, you've been in leadership positions with other leading, I mean, really well-known cannabis brands like MedMen and Lowell Herb. And previous mm-hmm. to that, participating in brands in the e-commerce space related to Fabletics and Savage Fenty. And prior to that, you were the CMO of MySpace. I mean, you've really been a part of some really key brands kind of from a high level abstract perspective. Yeah. And as a marketer, I just want to kind of pick apart that a little bit more. You know, how do you find yourselves in these roles? What value do you think you added to these companies? And how did that bring you ultimately to founding your own company? Yeah. So an interesting thing for like young marketers who are listening to this podcast, like yeah, I've done a lot of different things. And I've jumped from, well, even in tech, I've jumped from head of marketing to one of the top blog companies to MySpace to, you know, and these things didn't exist. Social media didn't really, it was nascent in its experience when I was CMO of MySpace. I, I helped drive that from 25 million to 110 million users worldwide. I really helped launch the blog space, the commercial blog space with Engadget and Autoblog and, you know, launched some of the first online zines, word.com in 1995. And a company called Wattpad, which is a global storytelling platform for mostly young women, fan fiction. So there was that. And then I went to a company called Fab Textile, helped rebrand that company, which is an e-commerce company, as you said, Shoe Dazzle, Just Fab, Rihanna's lingerie brand, Fabletics. And that was e-commerce, which was, you know, I say that like the, the secret to my success has really just all been about data and empathy. And I used to say before I had access to data, it was really about empathy. Like what drives people? What do they want? You know, how do you build, you know, influential, emotive brands? 
And then you make these guesses, you use data, you make these guesses, and then you, you know, it's sort of like a ready fire aim strategy in marketing. You put it out there, you look at the data, you optimize, but you can't rely solely on the data. That's the difference between good and great marketers is they really understand they can combine again, empathy with the data. Even, you know, like it, at Fabletics, we was a, probably we had more data than any other fashion company in the world. Like we, you know, it's a now multi, a billion dollar, over a billion dollars in sales, the textile group. But we still go to people's homes and go in their closets and ask them why they wear this or how they shop, how they think about dressing. And there's so many, you know, we would just reveal things that you just don't see in the data. So it's really important to connect with human beings and they constantly surprise you. We would have our influencer dinners, you know, once a month with our customers and would always, always, always learn something new from just an in-person meeting with someone. The cannabis business, so I've been a cannabis user for years and have used it in for business, you know, for perspective and ideation, again, empathy. I got connected with the Stanley Brothers out of Colorado. I was helping them sort of do, with some branding stuff in, on the West Coast. And then I invited Adam Bierman, CEO of MedMen, to a dinner with those guys. And I really liked, you know, some people find him off-putting. He's brash, but super smart. And I just liked his approach. So I connected with him and I started helping him with some SEO stuff and fundraising and just some branding stuff. And then I worked in the tech business with a guy who started, who conceived the whole Lowell Herb Company brand. And I was advising those guys lightly. And then I connected them with MedMen, got MedMen to invest in them. Then they asked me to come on as the CMO of Lowell. And, you know, Lowell was a really unique brand, probably got more publicity than any other brand and you know in america it was the first brand to really elevate the packaging of cannabis in a significant way so that brand you know as far as simon cynic the why of the brand would be to elevate the integrity of the cannabis experience and we thought we had our favorite chocolate brands and wine brands and kentucky whiskey brands and they all had this nomenclature and came in this beautiful packaging and you know, it was an emotive unboxing feeling when you dealt with this product. And, you know, the thing we loved came in a plastic bag. So, you know, or just like a medicinal, you know, canister. How did we, you know, so we thought, how can we really bring it to that same level? And we built a brand that was about heritage and craftsmanship and sustainability. And when you build brands, you have to think about who you are, what you stand for, what your role in society is. A lot of cannabis brands, unfortunately, have been focusing on their brand as packaging. And a lot of these things are the afterthoughts, like, let's make this really good. Let's make this pop at, at retail, which is definitely important. But people buy products from companies that believe what they believe. And if you don't start off with a strong belief system, then it's really difficult to create an authentic brand. And when this internet world where people see through everything and have access to everything, authenticity is really essential. If you can't fake authenticity, you shouldn't be in this business. No, I'm just kidding. That's like a, someone famous said that. So with Lowell, it was about, we had these PR threads that we were always playing out. How do we play out 
the sort of organic aspect of the brand? How do we play out the craftsmanship and the heritage piece of the brand? Sometimes, you know, Lowell had its up and down peaks and a lot of the downside was not living up to those brand tenants. Clearly, after I left the company and after the founder left the company, you know, it was just, it was run by you know, people who really didn't, were giving lip service to what the brand really serviced, what the brand was born out of. And then we also did a lot of really great creative hacks, you know, creativity, I mean, like publicity hacks, creativity, a lot of people think of creativity as like no holds barred open ideas, but the best of creativity is really about comes from constriction and constraints. Like when you have, you're put in a box, you can't do this. And the cannabis business is all about that. I mean, there, you know, you couldn't think of a more, a brand from a marketing perspective that is, you know, inhibited and constrained. You can't advertise on social media, can't advertise on Google. So we did some really great hacks early on where, you know, we applied to Coachella to be, you know, the first cannabis brand as a sponsor. And we made these Coachella crowns that we were giving to people out of cannabis, sort of groovy, hippie, Grecian sort of crowns. And they sent us a cease and desist letter and said, no, you can't be a sponsor. We use that as really our publicity platform. First cannabis brand, you know, rejected from Coachella. And we were building towards that. We were thinking about that. Like, how do we get this? We needed that letter that said, you are, you know, we reject you as a sponsor. And that was, you know, and then we started, we made these Valentine's Day bouquets that we, out of cannabis, that we started sending around to celebrities and they were freaked out and loved them. And, and then we took out a, you know, the brand has always been about social justice and we've hired a lot of people who were convicted of non-violent cannabis crimes. And so we took out a billboard across from the LA County jail, cost us 5,000 bucks. It said, recently pardoned, question mark, we're hiring, you know, had a little herb company around, under it. And then we hired a couple people. It's not so easy to hire felons, but we hired a bunch and, you know, that was picked up by the New Yorker magazine and Newsweek magazine. And so those are some interesting things. And then obviously we opened up the cannabis, the first cannabis cafe in America which was global news. And then I got into my brand. I did a collaboration with Notorious B.I.G.'s kids, C.J. Wallace. He had a brand who was looking to build a brand that was about cannabis and creativity. And I was thinking a lot about creativity. I you know, purchased a bunch of URLs around cannabis and creativity before that. And so we did this collaboration. I gave him seven different strains in index high for creativity and said, smoke these, rank these, tell me what your top three are. He did, and we created this creativity blend of his top, mixing three different strains together. Um, and then we donated a portion of the proceeds to the California Prison Arts Project. And we sold, we only made 10,000 packs. We sold them in like a week. It was a hit. And then that inspired me to go on, kind of lean into the idea I had been thinking about and create Pilgrim Soul creative, which is, again, it's a creativity company where cannabis is one of the products. And I saw at Lowell that really the future of cannabis brands were going vertical, really trying to own a specific slice of the market and be a category king in something, whether it's sleep or creativity or, you know, or bliss or sex or whatever it is. And then also, again, having a strong belief system and being a mission-driven company and really leaning into that. So, you know, Pilgrim Soul, the mission is to really to help people tap into their innate creativity. Uh, the number one TED Talk of all time is by this guy, Sir Kenneth Robinson. 
It's entitled How Schools Have Killed Creativity and We Desperately Need to Bring It Back. And so the brand is about helping people unlock their creativity. It's not about really teaching them to be creative. It's about teaching them to tap into the creativity they were born with to sort of, you know, get past judgment, get past default thinking, you know, get past fear and all these things that are really bred into us, like in our school system with, you know, where mistakes are bad and standardized tests and linear thinking and so all these things. And cannabis is an amazing hack for creativity. It stimulates the frontal lobe, which is the idea production part of the brain. And it suppresses an area of the brain called the dorsolateral cortex, which is the area of, you know, kind of a judgment area of the brain. So when you're daydreaming, you know, the dorsolateral cortex is sort of repressed. And then, but cannabis, you know, itself, you can smoke, you know, so I'm working with some of the top scientists, these guys at Abstracts Labs in Irvine, and they do the oils for Sherbinsky and Jack Herrera family and did the oils for Josh D who invented the OG strain. They're like surfer scientists in California and multiple PhDs in analytical chemistry. We analyzed over hundred strains and index high for creativity and also secondary and tertiary states of mind. So creativity and focus and euphoria, creativity and relaxation. We made 3D models of the terpene and cannabinoid profiles of these different brands and sort of matched them up to states of mind. And all the states of mind are really based on survey data from consumers, like on Leafly, when they say this is, you know, euphoric or, you know, happy or that's all from survey data or consumers saying how it makes you feel. So I created four different blends of cannabis, very focused on creativity, like a creative focus blend and a creative imagination blend and a creative awareness blend, creative reflection blend, and, you know, mixing multiple strains together. But you can still smoke my creative reflection blend and think about your ex-husband or your mortgage. You know, there's no guarantee that you're going to have a creative experience. So it was really essential for me to create other products that enhanced the efficacy of cannabis. And from a branding perspective, so this is really from an efficacy perspective, but there's a lot of branding benefits as well. And so I have this curriculum, I've created these journals that are meant to be used while you're high. And that is sort of guardrails on the experience to ensure that you have a great experience. I'm creating a bunch of other games of these ideas, scratch notes and other products that are you know, again, meant to like ensure that you have a positive creative experience when you're using our cannabis or anybody's cannabis. And we started marking those journals six months ago before we released the cannabis. And they've been really a smash hit. We've probably sold over $3 million worth of those journals, mostly using Facebook and Instagram. And you, know, you can't advertise cannabis on Facebook and Instagram. So we've built probably a 70,000 name lists of people. The front cover of the journal says, please use this journal while you're high. So people who buy this sort of raise their hand and say, I love cannabis and I love to be creative. So one of the other difficulties of building a cannabis brand is you don't own the customer, you know, everything's sold through dispensaries. So I you know, built a 70,000 name list of people who like to get high and creative. And a bunch of that, you know, probably about 10% of that is in California, a little more than 10%. So now I have the ability to go direct to consumer. I have the ability to advertise the brand on a national basis, 
communicate the values of the brand, really build a national licensable brand, create alternative revenue streams. There's a lot of benefits to having a bunch of products that are outside of the cannabis realm. Cookie is one of the top brands in California for sure. You know, it's a brand that's much more than just cannabis. It's a lifestyle brand where they have, you know, clothing and, and other products and uh, music is part of their brand. And, you know, that's great. It's a big asset and a leg up in connecting with consumers and making an emotive connection. But what I'm trying to do is even tighter than that and that our products are not necessarily, all our products really are about the cannabis experience and enhancing the cannabis experience. So, I mean, I'll have hats and t-shirts and things like that, but they're not really going to be, they're just for people to maybe have a deeper connection with our brand. But all great brands are really about, you think about how do you elevate your customer? How can you help them become a greater version of themselves? You know, how can you help them reach higher goals? And the gift that they give you back is loyalty and profitability. You think about it, you know, how can you help them express themselves like Apple does or reach their goals like Google does or a sense of aliveness and playfulness like, you know, Jimmy Buffett or Star Trek or inspire their like sense of freedom like Harley Davidson. Like what is your, you have to really think about who you are, what you stand for and, you know, and again, what your role in society is as a brand and it needs to be authentic. You know, and it needs to be founder-driven. When you do that, recruiting people is so much easier. Marketing is so much easier. Getting people to stay at the company, especially you know when you you know we think about younger people today working for something. People don't want a job. They want to you know they want to make a difference. But at all possible, it's so hard. I mean, it's a luxurious thing to work for. You know, to do good and do well and make money and make a difference. You know, not everybody gets a chance to do that, but a lot of people are today are not striving for less. They're really trying to accomplish that. So when you help people do that, one, you build a great team and that just really just amplifies itself and it comes across to the customer in a pretty significant way. So those are all things that you know people take for granted. Like again, there was a CEO of a, one of the top cannabis companies and they built the company. They're like, Oh, we need a social justice strategy. Like as an add on, like that's important. We should really have one of those. And they're, you know, it's great that they're thinking about that, but to think about that as an afterthought is detrimental to the brand. And so there, you know, there's a bunch of different things you can do to create influence and loyalty in a brand. You shared so much like juicy goodness. I really appreciated all of that because I do think that my passion and my heart lies in branding. I think when you look at the cannabis market, kind of reflecting on what you were saying, right? There's one, this air and this aspect of people who obviously they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. I think there's a lot of people also who never saw an opportunity like myself, especially being in Texas currently where there was even a possibility of working in cannabis. And then you talk about the social justice component. Obviously, cannabis being a Schedule One drug kind of positions it at that cross-section of, hey, we have a lot of work that needs to be done so that we can actually enjoy this and leverage this. Both, there's obviously the medicinal conversation. You outlined a lot of other aspects of, I guess the proper word would be niching, right? Whether you're 
yeah. you know, doses and you're focused on bliss and you want to just have this kind of, you know, particular customer who likes the ease of the functionality of this little type of vape pen versus I love what you had articulated about Lowell. Obviously, the breadth of the company has gone through a lot of different variabilities and changes, but kind of pushing that boundary of like, hey, we want to build this brand and we want to be able to have this conversation with the consumer in this particular way. I think that's where I'm observing cannabis is transitioning. Obviously, for better or worse, we are going into the mainstream and you are having to compete now for the consumer's attention. And so trying to figure out what is that conversation that you want to have, whether it is reflecting again on my position, a CBD brand in a state like Texas trying to navigate legalities and regulations as our state goes through those different steps comparatively to, you know, companies operating in California, a much more legal market, but I would also probably emphasize a much more strenuous and regulated market. And so trying to navigate all those different variations as you are trying to kind of cut through the noise of like, like, what am I serving? Like, what am I doing? What is that unique product? And I think you said it also earlier too, really nicely. You know, you used to just buy weed in a baggie. (laughs) You used to buy it in a plastic container. And so there's definitely those brands and those businesses who that's not their selling point. Maybe their selling point is something else, some other component, some other experience was actually in the bag perhaps. But I think getting into these other areas and getting people to think, both critically and creatively is really key. And you also highlighted it about Pilgrim Soul in terms of, I saw something on the website around being creative. It helps unlock yourself. And I think that, you know, we're our biggest cheerleader and we're our biggest, you know, setback as an individual. And so being able to leverage cannabis, not only from a business perspective, but also from a creative perspective, I think is really beautiful because I think we talk about creative, you know, creative and creativity and being creative really abstractly, but then actually like leveraging cannabis for that outcome. Like I'm sure people listening are like, yeah, I smoke cannabis and I play the guitar or I feel better, you know, writing, but to actually get people to think about this particular strain is what my body's responding to that allows me to be in the Mm -hmm. best flow state. Or when I consume this product and I have these other tools at my disposal, like I love the journal. I think again, it's so simple, but also elevates and you called it, I guess, kind of like insurance on the cannabis itself. And so I want you to talk a little bit more too now kind of about the creative process as you see it through Pilgrim Soul to kind of jumpstart that conversation. I saw one of the articles that you had on the website and it was around, and I think this is kind of an aspect about cannabis in general, right? Like there's not enough data and research to fully attribute where cannabis is helping or also perhaps hurting us. And it's really funny. My boyfriend, he has a copy of the journal as well. And he's a true creative. I mean, this guy is talented. He can take a pen and he can draw whatever, you know, you tell him to come up with and it's really good versus me. I draw like a child with stick figures. I'm creative in other ways. Yeah. But he asked me this question last night, which was really fitting for me interviewing you. He was like, how do we see cannabis actually attributed through 
things that you can hold up and say like, this was creatively done on cannabis, a platinum record. Can you actually attribute it to cannabis? Or this really famous painting was the artist on cannabis when they painted it. Can you actually attribute this, you know, accolade or this thing to the cannabis process or through cannabis consumption in your creative process? And then when I was on your website, you had this article around rappers and the creativity of the flow state when they are freestyling versus when they are, you know, spitting or speaking or singing lyrics that are more standardized. And so it just kind of gave me and him this nice little bouncing off point of obviously there's many things in life that we can attribute the ability of consuming cannabis to elevating that creative experience, to unlocking, to empowering us. But still, I think the data is coming. But so knowing that you kind of sit in that position, both with your breadth of experience as an executive, just kind of in this high level, I mean, e-commerce, obviously there's a lot of data to back up those claims and things like that. Cannabis in general, obviously trying to navigate all these different scientific points, whether it comes to the combination of strains or terpenes or even the mechanism for consumption to then how you see Pilgrim Soul kind of helping be that conduit to having a little bit of that conversation or helping give people the framework to understand cannabis and creativity better paired through that understanding. Hello, just want to take a quick moment to thank my sponsor and full disclosure, my company, Restart CBD. Restart CBD is a brand that I built with my sister, so we are family-owned and women-owned. We do operate a brick and mortar in Austin, so if you ever find yourself in Central Texas, we'd love for you to come say hi. But we also ship nationwide, and we carry a wide range of CBD products We really care about this plant. We really care about educating our customers. This show would not be possible without their support. So please go check us out at restartcbd.com and use code TOBEBLUNT for $5 off your next purchase. Thanks, and let's go back to the show. Yeah, well, from the science perspective, so there's a limited science because it just hasn't been legal and hasn't been sanctioned. And then the other issue with creativity research is that it's done kind of poorly. The definition of creativity is variable. General definition is sort of to create something new and useful. But the benefit of for Pilgrim Soul of creativity is to create. You know, it, using cannabis does not mean that all your ideas will be good ones. As a matter of fact, most of them will be shit, but it's better to have 10 ideas and maybe one good one than to have no ideas or a couple highly inhibited ideas. So it's really, you know, when you get into any brainstorming session, it's all like, okay, no judgments, you know, just everyone throw out your ideas. And then sometimes you're like, okay, I want to hear like the first word that comes to your mind, you know, when you hear, when you think about our customer, okay, now take the last letter of that word and give me another idea. Sometimes you need to create these nonsensical, not you know, non sequiturs to get your brain in a in a new area again to challenge default thinking. But so the science is light, but the case studies are immense. And throughout history, you think about, I mean, one example, you just think about half the songs on Spotify would be gone without cannabis. You know, you're like hip hop, jazz, rock and roll, EDM. You got to get to into into my life by the Beatles is about cannabis. There's just so many, and you, you talk to so many artists. The other aspect of the research is 
creativity doesn't happen, happen in a vacuum. Cannabis can enhance like the rest of your life. And low doses, you know, we really promote low dosage in cannabis. And a lot of the research shows it's about enhancing the experience, not like being the entire experience. You know, so it's about combining both divert, you know, ideation and sort of and reality, you know, and sort of putting previously existing ideas together in new ways, combinatory play. So, but how cannabis specifically helps people? And, you know, when I, I share some of these things, you'll be like, oh, totally. Like that's you know, that's how I feel. But it's great for hyper focus. Some like when I need to go solve. So I said I was somewhat ADD-ish and I would smoke cannabis to focus. Earlier in my career, I would create these decks about ideas for big brands like Nestle and Hot Wheels. And, you know, I come up with ideas and then I get high and I would get on like the elliptical machine at the gym and I would like go through these decks and just like hyper focus on ideas and, and make these connections. And one of the reasons I was on the elliptical machine, one was to get in shape, but the other was that because of this ADD thing I had, if I was trying to do one thing, I would be distracted, like thinking about maybe one, you know, something else. But if I'm doing like a, one simple task, like working on a, like on the elliptical machine, I can't do three things at once. So I would almost have a simple task to help me concentrate on the second task, which is a weird hack that I was using for myself. So hyper-focus is one aspect that cannabis is really great with. Pattern recognition is another thing, you know, putting seemingly unrelated objects together or ideas together, you know, in a new way, sort of processes and concepts. And that's what I get a lot of these aha moments. We're like, oh, wow, that's like, and then enhanced imagination, more divergent thinking, the ability, like a chef thinking about how different flavors would go together to create a new dish or a composer thinking about how different instruments might sound together. And then empathy is another thing that cannabis has been, and I've mentioned this a couple of times already, but you know, you think about Aaron Sorkin loves cannabis. He's using it to write and to like, what would this character say? What would they feel like, you know, and what, what would they do in this situation? He's writing about a lot of characters who clearly aren't him. And he uses, you know, cannabis to create deep empathy. So these are just some aspects of, they're really some, you know, somewhat undeniable. And, and everyone's brain chemistry is different. Some people can smoke a sativa and fall asleep. So these are general concepts and, you know, you know, not entirely macro. But getting back to like the human condition, and when you want to think about like how you build this, your cannabis brand that differentiates, all these products get you high. If you're not differentiating, they're like, oh, okay, you know, this. I'm looking at which one has the most THC for the money or which is the cheapest or, you know, like which has the coolest packaging at the same price. And I want live resin, which is the cheapest one. Like we're getting in a situation where cannabis brands are raced to the bottom on price. And the only way to really do that is to create a brand that has meaning and differentiation and, you know, is an extension of your personal brand and packaging alone does not do that. So there's like, I think about brands, I think about five there's a lot of ways I think about brands in a lot of different ways, but there's five ways <laughs> that I'm thinking about today that I think would be helpful to some of the people listening. It's like ways to think about the consumer and loyalty. As you said earlier, humans want to belong, you know, so 
love and belonging and they want to be part of social groups. They want to feel there's some part of something that's bigger than themselves. How do you think about your brand in that way? They look for a sense of identity. They look for institutions and alliances and people and groups that, and communities that can sort of create meaning around and a sense of identity. You know, how can you be part of that? How can you associate your brand? How can you like network your brand with other great communities that, you know, quickly establish credibility in those areas? Shared values, you know, we talked about that a little bit. Truth, goodness, aliveness, uniqueness, simplicity, justice, playfulness, self-sufficiency. These are all things that consumers think about. How do you help your brand, you know, resonate and portray those values. And, you know, again, it's going to be a losing proposition to try to be all those things. You just have to pick your lane and what you believe in and what you understand and define, you know, your beacons as a brand. And then the fourth thing would be, you know, humans want peak emotional experience. Emotions give life and texture and provide meaning to people. So how can you create emotive experiences with your customer? I do this with my journals by helping them really tap into themselves. My first cannabis packaging is a collaboration with four different female street artists, street artists. And I wanted people to look at my packaging and feel happy and feel good about themselves and like to own this thing and have this colorful, beautiful thing in their lives. But that, you know, that's just part of it. That alone is not, you know, a brand, but it's part of the emotive experience. And then lastly, you know, people, humans seek hope. Life's difficult. You know, your customers want groups and, you know, products that provide relief from life's challenges. And cannabis is obviously itself is a great product for that. So how do you give people hope with your brand and, you know, something to tap into? And, and then, you know, all these things are really like the key ingredients to cult brands. I mean, if you look at any cult brand, they all have all these, you know, five characteristics that I mentioned. So this is some, just a couple of ways to think about your brand. And then you have to have to look around corners a little bit and see what's next. You know, I'm talking to some investors now and they're like, well, does, you know, cannabis journal popular because everyone was locked down and, and was it a COVID phenomenon? And like, that's a really interesting question. And like, I thought about that myself, but creativity you know, guided journals themselves have had double-digit growth for the last 10 years, create the ability, the desire to be creativity, creative in the self-help category has had double-digit growth for the last 10 years. The World Economic Forum listed creativity as, you know, one of the top 10 essential skills for 2025. We're, you know, evolving into this world of AI and outsourcing where, you know, we need to really, what is our leg up against computers? And that is the ability to make these nonlinear connections and to be creative. And it's really a competitive edge in, in almost any business creativity. So I'm leaning into this trend of creativity as an essential skill. There's so many other ways to go with cannabis. You know, this is just my lane that I'm choosing. So those are a couple pro tips. Those are great pro tips. And I think leaning into the creativity, especially from a marketer, I think sometimes creativity is forced or manufactured, especially if you find yourself in a traditional role where like I'm on social media and I feel like I have to quote unquote perform. I have to post something. It has to be witty. It has to be 
you know, engaging. It has to be something that's going to potentially go viral. And I think that expectation sometimes almost stunts my creativity that despite consuming cannabis, I find myself personally sometimes a little bit lost. Like I know I'm a creative person, but I don't always feel creative. And I found by just going through the products that you've created, whether it's the journal or even the prompts online through the creative exercises. I mean, I love this whole concept. And again, not that it's belittling it by any means, but they're very simple concepts. Like the idea of being creative is like just asking the right questions or hell, just asking a question. Like one of the exercises you have online is all about scent memory and it, you know, lists out Here's everyday household items, garlic, coffee, you know, ginger, this, that, and the other, and just take 15 seconds, close your eyes, smell it, and then write about it. It has nothing directly that attributes my day-to-day life. However, I found that exercise gave me so much just like you were talking about, just like it, it just brings up different points that maybe you hadn't considered that helps unlock that creativity flow that yeah. maybe, you know, when I'm driving to work or I'm in a conversation with a friend or I'm, you know, settling in after dinner, I think, oh, you know, this thought I had earlier, it gave me this other jumping off point. And so I just think that obviously you're a very smart and intelligent marketer. Brand is very, very much a part of your DNA. You can tell that you do care about it at a deep level and trying to understand how do you not only care about it for yourself at a deep level, but how do you then bring that same kind of empathy to the market through consumer products through, again, like you've highlighted so great, this whole discussion, not only just like by providing a great cannabis product to the market, but what are those other ancillary kind of supporting tools that someone can use on their journey? And so I think that's why this conversation for me was so important to have and to highlight for my audience, because I think sometimes there's the building a brand and building a business. And that's obviously super important. But I think when you try to peel back some of the layers, realizing, well, who is building the brand? Oh, yes, maybe we're moving into technology day and age where it's more and more AI and there's different tools and functions that we can leverage. But like at the end of the day, it's me. I'm a human being and I'm the one in my way. And so how do I unlock my greatest self Maybe I do an exercise in the journal. Maybe it's, you know, me actually taking a time to listen to a Spotify playlist of some great jazz artists and reflecting on one of the prompts that I read, you know, through one of your social Mm -hmm. media channels. I think your brand is just really fitting and, and maybe the data helps cement that, but it's kind of helping guide us through, I think, this wave of pressure that we're overwhelmingly experiencing as it relates to trying to navigate being a marketer in the 21st century. So kind of the last question to you is given everything that I kind of just highlighted around like the prompts that you share on some of these platforms, I know that being a cannabis marketer is very challenging to be on Instagram and Facebook in terms of ads. But when you kind of meet the consumer at the human level to make them feel like their most empowered creative self, I mean, you have a Pinterest page and it's, so thoughtful and so creative. Your Instagram, it has, you You have two Instagrams. One is for Pilgrim Soul and one is more on the creative side. And that's just showcasing all this great art that people have created in, you know, kind of synchronicity with the products that you're creating. So kind of how do you transfer over from the physical world of producing journals and content and cannabis products to actually bringing that to market? What are those different channels that you 
are kind of leveraging, whether it's social media or just your own earned kind of media. But I think that's another area that people, I think, again, as a marketer, we're trying to navigate the creativity, but how do you actually deal with the tools that are at your disposal? Unfortunately, we're limited in cannabis. Yeah, totally. So I think about, you know, I've always thought about marketing from like a holistic communication plan perspective, even in the early days of brand strategy at early internet advertising agency. And we did be with the first Nickelodeon site and again, the first Hot Wheels site. And, you know, I was selling, when I got there, they were selling websites and I was like, let's sell communication plans. Like let's sell how we use the, this is early, this is like internet 1995, 1996, 97. So I would, you know, it was sort of when people were like, holy shit, this is going to be big. And I had like a you know meeting with the CEO of Mattel about the web, you know, about how they use the internet. You have to think of it. How does it make what you're already doing more effective? How does it fit into your communication? How does it make your TV more, your sales promotion, your in-store marketing? How does it make that more effective? That's the way you need to think about it. So I think about contact opportunities with the customer and communication plans and think about how does this thing I'm doing tap into everything else. So, you know, when you get to my like Instagram stuff, there's a couple of ways, reasons I've structured my Instagram the way I have. Pilgrim Soul Creative is my Instagram website for the brand. I don't talk a lot about cannabis there. I talk mostly about creativity because that's, we're trying to establish ourselves as experts in creativity. You know, you, you buy our creative cannabis products because we're experts in creativity, not because, you know, we create cannabis products, but you also have to believe that we are working with partners to create the best cannabis products, you know, relying on the best available science. So our website is expert content on creative hacks and the history of creativity and cannabis and creativity. Only maybe 20% of the content is about cannabis and creativity. Most of it's just about creativity. And then the Instagram account to make a, a motive, like we just, we feature people and we feature concepts and ideas and funny notions that are like, you know, ideas or creative reflections that make people laugh, but also be like, huh, you know, just pause for a second and think oh, that's kind of true. And that's kind of funny. That's, you know, and that's moderate, you know, moderately enlightening. And that's the goal of, of the Pilgrim Soul creative and then we have Creativity on Cannabis, which is the other Instagram account you mentioned. And that's about really, you know, one thing I saw, we had Lowell, we had like a 70,000 following Instagram account deleted because one of our interns like linked to where you could buy our products, which is a big no-no. And then they also get deleted for reasons that nobody knows, but they don't delete accounts that are social commentary. So I saw this account, this probably got, it was like cannabis humor and, you know, I had like 4 million followers and I was like, that was a light bulb moment for me where if I can create an account that is about social commentary, I can grow it. And, you know, that could really be a better approach to my, one of my brand accounts. So that's why I have creativity on cannabis where, which is a, you know, a, one of the biggest tent poles of our brand and, you know, maybe the biggest, and we feature artists who use cannabis for creativity. And, you know, we have this sort of very important potheads, you know, a little running commentary on there too, where we feature 
scientists. And the brand is about creative thinking. You know, if I created a creativity journal, people would think, oh, I'm going to draw pictures or, you know, it, or, you know, it's about art. But creative thinking is about for everyone. And this brand is about, you know, it's for educators and scientists and computer programmers and people who, anybody who needs to create an innovator to creatively problem solve. Artists, graphic designers, content creators, a very small part of who we're targeting with the brand. But I posted something last week, which was, I, I was, I'm always shocked what resonates with people. There was something on my account that was like, I'm going to get a tattoo that reads Helvetica, but written in Ariel. And the first woman who corrects me on it, I will ask her to marry me. And it was like, I was shocked at how many people, you know, I was thinking that was kind of funny, but I was shocked at how, how many people that resonated with, I was like, oh my God, like I'm that person or I'd marry you or, you know. I love that one. I literally sent it to my boyfriend. I was like, this is so again, just kind of in that same kind of creative thinking vein, it was just like, oh, like what a, even just the idea of getting a tattoo of another font, but written in that font, like that was just so brilliant of a thought. I was like, oh my gosh, creativity at its finest. And so, yeah, you shared and I just, it resonated with me absolutely for sure. So I was one of those people. And then, you know, early on, I learned that laughter is the shortest distance between two people. So if you can laugh with your customers, it's like such an efficient connection. It says, oh, I see the world the same way this brand does, you know, or a human being, you know, like when you laugh with someone at a party, you're like, so much is happening in that moment that is, you know, underneath the surface. It's like, I'm with you. I see the world the way you do. I have the same sense of irony and unvarnished truth or whatever it may be, whatever you're, you know, whatever you're laughing at. It's like, you know, it's it's really this efficient human connection. So that's another great hack. And you know, I was class comedian in uh, high school, so I'm riffing on that whole thing. It's all come full circle for you. Come full circle. I'd like to see the career trajectory of comedian. By the way, I say I was class comedian as opposed to class clown. Class clown is the person who runs across the football field naked during homecoming. The class comedian is the guy who talked him into it. Yes. Master of ceremony. <laughs> That's the difference. Although I was never a mean, a mean, funny person. No, I love that though. I think humor and laughter is something that I often kind of reflect on even my own experience. I come from Austin, obviously, and live music. And so music to me, food, those are universal truths. Doesn't matter what language you speak, you can sit down at a table in front of someone that you don't know and you can share a meal and you can find some commonality. So kind of same thing in that vein of, if you can make your customers have that human connection to the brand through laughter, through kind of sparking their creativity, sparking their thoughtfulness, then you are creating hopefully loyalty. And that to me is a huge component of longevity in a brand. I always like to say, love like you've never been hurt, work like no one's watching, dance like you don't need the money, which, and people are like, what? Wait, that's not how it goes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they'll get it eventually right that's another thing you when you try humor some you risk failing but when you make that connection you know you really connect i moved from new york to los angeles and people in los angeles have a great sense of irony and so for me it was easy to connect with people through irony and and humor when i moved out to la just less so 
And I had this sort of litmus test where I'd say to people, like, don't you hate when people ask a question and then answer it themselves? I do. And if they didn't really get that, then I was, this is going to be a long conversation. (laughs) I would, you know, there's just kind of nuance. One of my favorite all-time campaigns of recent time is, you know, when Nike stepped out and like just got behind Colin Kaepernick, whether you believe in Kaepernick, you know, his, what he's about or not, it's somewhat irrelevant to the concept that they said, you know what, I'm going to, this is the lane I'm choosing. People were out there burning their Nikes, you know, and protesting the brand and boycotting the brand. But they, they kind of obviously made a, a decision who their core customers were and who they were going to support. It's ballsy to take that side of an argument in such a significant way. And, you know, I was, I was so impressed with that brand mm. for, for doing that. Again, forgetting about whether that was, you know, whether you believe in, in that or not is kind of irrelevant to really what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It's more like just choosing a lane. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of our previous president's appeal as well. Like you just chose a lane. Like there's so much, I was talking with a professor, a friend of mine, a professor at Columbia, who's black. And so it was relevant to what's happening in our culture. And when, you know, wokeness and everything and, you know, being canceled, we, were, we have a friend who's got a popular podcast who was canceled. And she's like a female Indian woman. And it was interesting because it was, you know, she's canceled out of context, you know, and as most cancel is, you know, no one's looking at who this person is, their history, their right. like, wokeness. And that's the great thing about being on a cannabis podcast. Like you, you can forget what you're talking about. And <laughs> it's all like, good. Oh, yeah, that's true. You're kind of reflecting on staying in your lane. And I think sometimes the repercussions that might come from it, but also the, I don't want to say. Oh, oh, we were saying, yeah, like like just choosing your lane. Oh, and you're the people. Oh, she was saying like the people, the only people who aren't canceled are the outrageous people. The people who like just say, I hate everyone. Oh, I hate them too. Oh, great. Cool. Like, it's weird. Like if you try to please everyone, you get canceled. If you're just like, I hate these people. I like these people. Oh, fine. We like you too. So it's an interesting thing that's happening in our world. You know, like all these things with the, you know, the Me Too movement. I looked at the analogy of the 1970s and, you know, the women's movement then, and the pendulum often has to swing, you know, further than it seems logical. And then it comes back to center where progress has been made. And there's a new, you know, a new line in the sand of what's mm-hmm. acceptable. So all these things happen. And, and you know, you'll see, I'm sure this what's happening would happen, you know, with that, what happened, what's happening now, what happens next, you know, you have to somewhat give some flexibility to, you know, these cultural moments. And that, you know, that's another, you know, one last thing is like another great brand hack that I use. And it's in the book, actually, in the creative reflection section, I took this famous Ogilvy and Mather technique for branding. And I made it about branding yourself and thinking about, you know, really what your purpose in life is. But they have these two concentric circles. One is like what I do great, you know, as a brand. And the other circle is a cultural moment that's happening. And the, you know, the overlap of the concentric circles is your big ideal as a brand. Like, how do you take what you do great and what's happening in this culture, in our culture, and, you know, optimize that experience? And the classic example is the True Beauty campaign from Dove Soap, where, 
you know, in the age of Photoshop, it's an interesting tie because there's like, you know, they're beauty products. And then you have like this sort of self-image in the age of Photoshop. And then the overlap is sort of like true beauty, you know, really, you know, learning to really like, love yourself and understand that, you know, you shouldn't be influenced by, you know, society and probably I put that in more eloquent ways, but the general concept of finding your big ideal as a brand or even as a human being all goes back to who you are, what you stand for and what your role in society is as a brand. Thank you so much, Sean, for sharing your creative perspectives with us. I really particularly enjoyed getting to tune into your brainwave and learn how cannabis has helped you and your teams navigate marketing throughout all the different industries that you reflect. But of course, especially appreciate you championing the creativity on Cannabis Conversation. Because to me, it's like a no brainer to consume cannabis to spark my creativity. But I extra especially love the prompts that both the journal and the website provide. So my personal takeaway is to continue to explore those prompts as I continue to explore how I find my own personal creativity and inspiration navigating the cannabis industry. So today's food for thought is for you to check out pilgrimsoul.com. Let me know which prompt resonates most with you. These prompts are simple and fun and really are a great jumping off point to help you connect to yourself on a deeper level, which is what I believe cannabis is part intended to do. So thanks again to you, the listener, for tuning in. As always, there will be another brand new episode next Monday. And so I'll catch y'all next week. Have a good one. Talk later. Bye. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com. 